If you have your Bibles, open to the second leader, uh, letter that Peter wrote. The second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1. He reveals in this second letter, remember to the churches that were planted in the area of now modern-day Turkey? He reveals the reason for his writing both of the letters. It's in the third chapter in the first verse. Look at the screen. Dear friends, now this is my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Okay, going out on a limb here. Is it possible that Peter wanted to stimulate wholesome thinking because unwholesome thinking was running rampant? Yeah. William Shatner, y'all recognize that name? James T. Kirk from the 1960s television series Star Trek. He wrote a book called Live Long and dot, 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 what I've learned along the way. This is an excerpt. But during those three months I was living with my death sentence, I spent considerable time thinking about my life, about the lessons I've learned, the places I've been, the miracles I've seen. All of those encounters and events and experiences that have been wrapped together into one great burst of energy called life. And based on that, I want to share with you for the first time my secret to live a good long life. Don't die. That's it. That's the secret. Simply keep living and try not to slow down. So William Shatner says the secret is don't die, but a witness of the resurrected Christ. Remember when Paul was on the road of Damascus in the great light and he heard the voice? So he heard the, wit the he was a witness of Jesus after death. He wrote, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which of those stimulates wholesome thinking. Over 500 people were eyewitnesses to Jesus alive after he had been crucified and resurrected. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do Jesus' words reveal wholesome thinking? Steve Turner, an English music journalist and poet, has written a satirical poem called Creed. This is what it says. We believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe everything is okay as long as you don't hurt anyone to the best of your definition of hurt and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything's getting better despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man just like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, though we think his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, 
at least the one we read was, they all believe in love and goodness. The only, they only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions. Conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth, excepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. Wholesome thinking. When Peter wrote his letter, he was facing agnostics. You know that what, if somebody asked you to define what an agnostic is, would you be able to say that that, that is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known about God or his existence or his nature? Now, the, they, they, kind of, they kind of come in the back door with that because they believe that God is infinite. So there are parts of God that forever, even in heaven, you guys, after we've been up there a million years, we will still be understanding more of this infinite God. That's pretty amazing to think about, isn't it? He's so boundless, there'll be more of him that will forever be something we are discovering. That's crazy. But that doesn't mean that along the way there are different aspects of him and his existence and his nature that can be known. But for an agnostic, no. Nothing about him or his existence can be known or his nature. Peter uses a Greek word for knowledge or to be known ten different times in this second letter that we're starting to look at. In fact, he uses that word five different times in the first eight verses. This second letter begins with Peter saying, one of the greatest stimulants to wholesome thinking is to come to know God more deeply. He can be known. He is a self-disclosing God. You can actually begin to know him. Look at the le as the letter begins, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through, here we go, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our what? Through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Can you kind of see something of knowing God? I mean, if you're going to be participating in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge and to your knowledge self-control, and to your self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual edification or brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness or mutual edification uh, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, 
they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have these, does not have them, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter directly addresses those who thought nothing is known or nothing can be known about the existence or nature of God. You guys, the person Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, changed all of that unwholesome philosophy that God can't be known. He just turned it all on its head. Jesus has given those of us who believe, this is the first mark of this, those with faith in Jesus as the Son of God, He has given us actually a right standing with God. This isn't because of anything we've done. And the right standing that we've received in God is the church word that we call righteousness. You know what righteousness means? It actually means you've been placed in a position where you and God no longer have sin separating you. You've been made right with God. Righteousness. It's an incredible thing that's been given. In your faith in Jesus, you've been placed in a, in a spot where God says, my child, and there's nothing that keeps him from coming to you and you coming to him. Sin is no longer an issue. Jesus has provided grace and peace that brings the knowledge of God, not just on the surface, but in depth, in abundance. That's the word that's used. In fact, in Jesus, our faith in Jesus, in that we've been given everything that we need for life and godliness. In other words, everything we need to know God personally and intimately. And this knowledge of God... <laughs> I mean, this, this just keeps crescendoing. This knowledge of God is filled with incredible promises, promises that enable us to actually know and participate in God's nature. You guys, this is the exact opposite of agnosticism. The exact opposite. And when we do that, we can withstand our world with its downward pull of corruption escaping the downward pull of the world's corruption. Now, does that sound wholesome or unwholesome? <laughs> and then Peter, under the influence of the resurrected Christ in the form of the Holy Spirit, gives us this continued guide for growth. I want you to write these things down in that little thing, maybe in your, in your program, or it's going to be eight of them. So maybe when I flash up the eighth one, you can take your phone and take a picture of it if you don't want to jot it down. I, I think this guide for growth is... It's a valuable thing for us to hang on to in this whole knowledge and experience with God. He exhorts us to start building on our faith. And the first thing he wants us to do in adding to our faith is goodness. So in this growth guide, you start with your belief that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and that he is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead. And then you add to that faith Goodness. And goodness here is a word that describes moral excellence. This is integrity at its highest bar. Living a life that honors Jesus. You guys, you know what it is? It's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. 
Not because anybody's watching or not watching. It's just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's the absolute best way to strengthen or add to your faith. And this is the kicker. When we honor God by the way that we live, guess what happens to our faith? It actually grows. Your conviction and your connection with Jesus, it actually goes from a mustard seed to a peanut seed. (laughs) It gets bigger. It's more. And if we want to add to our goodness, then he says, all right, add knowledge. And this knowledge is not just intellectualism. It's not just information. It's also a relation aspect of knowledge. It's relational. I'm wanting to know more about God, and I'm wanting to know God more. The knowledge of God becomes our obsession. The wisest person in the Old Testament put it this way. This is Proverbs 15, 14. Look at the screen. A wise person is hungry for knowledge, while the fool feeds on trash. Our corrupted world can make immoral dumpster diving enticing. (laughs) It can. It can put some junk up there that normally we would just go, that is so perverted and sick, but it can make it and package it in such an enticing way that, well, 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 I guess I'll check it out. And if you're tired of missing the mark on living in moral excellence, then the absolute best way to add or strengthen your goodness is to add knowledge about God and then ask God, God, let me experience you. Let me have the opposite of agnosticism. Let me come to know you, your nature. Grant me this. And you know what God will do? He'll answer your prayer. He'll give you more of himself. So add to our knowledge, it's best done with self-control. Self-control, you guys, is living in temperance. It's living in balance. It's not letting circumstances and feelings determine my behavior. It's making wise choices. It's controlling my desires and lusts instead of my desires and lusts controlling me. This one quality, self-control, this may be one of our culture's greatest strongholds. Catering to the flesh and self-indulgence is something, is a spirit that exists inside and outside the church. Every one of us, those of us who believe, struggle with self-indulgence, struggle with the flesh. And the best way to strengthen our resolve to be self-controlled Peter says, you add perseverance. Now, you guys, perseverance, that's that steadfastness. It's not giving up. It's endurance. We just keep pedaling on the bike. The hill starts getting steep, but we just somehow, we stand up off the seat, and we just put all of our weight down on that pedal, and we just keep going. It's being unwilling to wallow in defeat. Even after we make a mistake, it's picking ourselves back up. This this Greek word for perseverance is a great word. You'll love that. It combines the preposition under with the word remain. Remaining under. He's given you remaining under power. Remaining under power. It's staying the course even in hardship, even in adversity, even in self-control failure. And when I don't want to persevere... 
The absolute best way to strengthen my perseverance is to add godliness. When I fall in self-control, the best thing for me to do is to add to my perseverance godliness. You guys, this is another fantastic Greek word. It combines two words. One means well, as in well done, excellence, with worship. The other word is worship. So well worship. In other words, it is to worship well no matter what. Come what may, we will worship anyway. When you feel like giving up and you feel like letting go, you still go to God with your whole heart in worship. And you guys, you sing about this all the time. When is persevering and endearing and staying the course the hardest? It's when our hearts hurt. It's when our hands have sinned. It's when our strength is zapped. It's when we have no songs and when we have no words. And this happened to some of you last week because you told me. The week before, some of you had a terrible week. Terrible. Some of you had a terrible week because of circumstances you couldn't control. Some of you had a terrible week because of your own failures. But you came here on Sunday anyway. And you were the ones who sang, take this tainted heart fainted heart and take these tainted hands even when my strength is gone even when I have no song and those hot tears started coming down your face as you were singing this song you told me even when it's hard to find the words even when it hurts like crazy and it makes no sense what louder than I'll sing your praise. Even when I fall, I'm still going to come on Sundays. I'm still going to pop that thing in my car. I almost said cassette. That dated me, didn't it? I'm going to do whatever it takes to put that thing in my iPod. Now I'm hip. I'm going to do whatever to play that song or listen to that scripture to give me that foundation where I'm, gonna, I'm just going to praise him and worship him well anyways. In spite of what I've just done or what I've been through, I'm still going to worship. Godliness is worshiping well even when you don't feel like it. And if you're needing strength to worship, live in godliness and add brotherly kindness. Mutual affection. What are we seriously to one another? I mean, we got... got, Tyson people in here, and we got operators of managers of apartments, and we've got university officials, and we've got attorneys, and we've, 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 we've got all sorts of people. But what are we with each other? We're family. We're family. And because we're family, we're bound together with an unbreakable bond. And that means we look out for one another, and we check up on each other. And we're companions and we're partners and we're committed. I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. And when our brotherly kindness is in question and struggling, then we add the most powerful commodity in all of the universe. You know what that is. It's love. Why do we do love? Because love is patient. And it's kind. And love lets go of things like envy and boastfulness and arrogance and rudeness and irritability and resentfulness and demanding that you do it my way. 
And it doesn't rejoice over someone else's misfortune. No, that's not love. But what does love hang on to? It hangs on to rejoicing with the truth. And believing, my brothers and sisters, and bearing with them, and hoping with them, and enduring with them. Why do we add on love? For one reason. Because love never fails. There's nothing that can conquer it. Love is the center. It's the climax. It's the glue that fastens, and it's the gravity that pulls. Love is the heartbeat and the hallmark of our faith. And Peter writes this letter knowing that he's about to die, and he doesn't want them to let go of what they've learned. You guys have this. You're standing on this. You've, it's firmly planted in you. Your, your feet are, it's like you're in concrete. You've got this, and I just don't want you to forget it. Look at his earn, your earnestness in verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things. Even though you have known them and are firmly established in the truth, you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day it dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them that he was going to die, and in fact, he would soon die. He was to be crucified just like Jesus, but he insisted that he not be crucified just as Jesus because he wasn't worthy, so they turned him upside down at his request. But before that happened, Peter wanted these believers to remember their calling and their equipping. He reminded them that they had already been called and equipped because God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Jesus had secured their salvation and now it was time to grow up. It's time to grow up in your calling. Interestingly, Peter does not remind them in this first chapter so much about the resurrection. A little hint of it there in the first part. But that's not how he ends this first chapter. He doesn't remind them that he was a witness of Jesus' resurrection with his own eyes. And he doesn't remind them that he heard from Jesus' mouth his promise to return with his own ears. He doesn't remind them of that. This time Peter reminds them that he was an eye and an ear witness of the Mount of Transfiguration. And don't you know when he went to some of those people's homes at night when they would gather to break bread and they would meet with this one and everybody would be so excited because, oh, Peter's coming. Peter's coming over tonight. Oh, you guys, you gonna, I can't wait to hear him. Peter would come and he would say, I saw Moses. I saw Elijah. Those people would look at him and he said, you know what they did? They bowed down to Jesus. 
And then I heard the voice. Peter took them there. He said, this is something I saw with my eyes. I heard with my ears. These aren't fables. These aren't stories. These aren't tall tales. We can be more certain of that than ever. Than ever. And all of what the prophets ever wrote can be trusted. Search it out. Peter pleads with them to never forget, even after he dies, he says, always remember about the power and coming certainty of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the song that we're about to sing, Peter could have written these words. You're about to say this, let our hearts continue burning for our King is soon returning as we hold to this assurance. Spirit come. Spirit come. You guys, 2 Peter chapter 1, Let's keep this one close because it is a fantastic guide for growth. All of those eight things and any one of them that you're struggling with, see what the next one is that you're supposed to add to it. Man, I am really struggling right now with, with my faith. Well, what am I supposed to add? Moral excellence. If I, can, if I can make a decision to be more morally excellent in the way that I live, it's going to bolster my faith. Keep, keep that chart someplace kind of handy. The Holy Spirit gave that to Peter. It's a fantastic guide for growth. And if you want a powerful stimulant for wholesome thinking, 2 Peter chapter 1. Really, First and 2 Peter. But this one's got us, got us well on our way. Ah, let's pray.